Are you ready to study the scriptures? Yes or no? Great, then we have a distinct pleasure today. You are going to hear from our lead pastor. You may or may not know that we have three campuses, and we are a part of something broader around here. We have a campus in Austin, a campus in Lake Travis, and of course, we're down here in Kyle. And our lead pastor, his name is Ross Parsley, and he is here today to speak to us. I'm so thankful for him and his input in my life and the wisdom that he's poured into my life through the years, and you get to receive some of that today. So everybody, please give a One Chapel Kyle welcome to your lead pastor, Pastor Ross Parsley. Good morning, everybody. It's so good to be in One Chapel Kyle. This is so awesome. You are my favorite campus. And there's... (laughs) There's so, it's so much fun to see old friends, like uh, just a whole bunch of you who helped plant One Chapel Kyle two years ago, a little over two years ago, just seeing you in the hallways. But there's a whole bunch of new phases. How many people did not help start One Chapel Kyle? Raise your hand. Woo, look at all those people. Look at that. Hey, I'm so glad you're part of the family. It's so awesome. We're so glad you're here and that um, we, we believe that Jesus is doing something with One Chapel and with the greater body of Christ, the Big C Church in the Austin region. And uh, our goal is to do 10 campuses over the next several years, over 10 years. And uh, maybe we won't hit that 10-year mark. That's not, not what's really important. What is important is that we're obeying the call of Jesus to put churches, church plants, communities into neighborhoods all across the Austin region where there aren't enough churches. We got 50,000 people a year showing up in, in the Austin region. Can you believe that? And you should believe, when you think about that, when you read the headlines, when you hear the stories, you shouldn't say, oh, those dumb Californians. <laughs> you, should not, you should not say those kinds of things because don't, don't you think that if 50,000 people are converging on one place that God has a purpose and a plan, it's not just about economics. It is not just about how cool and hip the Austin region is. It is, there's something more happening and you have to believe that. We have to believe that together. God is doing something really awesome with us and as part of the body of Christ here in this region. There aren't enough churches. There aren't enough people owning their neighborhood and saying, I'm going to own this for the good news of the kingdom to be spread into this community. And so that's our vision. And I'm so glad that you're part of it. And so um, I want to say a couple things before I jump into the scriptures today. You know, one of my goals is to make one chapel as healthy as it can be. I want every leader to be healthy. I want every Team One member to be healthy. Our goal is to make sure that Team One members can, can, uh, can serve once, uh, twice a month, and they can rotate on and off, and some teams are there, other teams are not, but that is our goal because we want healthy people. We want people going to church. We want you to serve a service. Then we want you to, uh, to attend a service, or we want you to be on a rotation where you're not just grinding every week. We want to be healthy. We want to be strong because here's what I believe. If we'll all serve, we make it easy for everyone. And so if you're not on a team, I just want to encourage you to jump on a team. It's super important that you do that. Um, And uh, and so so my goal is to be, for us to be healthy. And one of the ways we're going to do that is we're going to make sure that every leader and every, every pastor, every campus pastor has practices 
that they are involved in in their personal life to make sure there's a, a, a routine of rest, of hard work, a routine of leaning in and then leaning out, a way of leading that includes the idea that we, every once in a while we need to step away and get perspective. And so last year in 2017, I took our church's first sabbatical. A sabbatical is a kind of a, a churchy or a biblical word that talks about Sabbath. And so a sabbatical is about six or eight weeks of, of, of intentional disconnect. Um, I don't know if you realize it, but pastors, uh, the statistics across the landscape of Amer the American church are not good. They, they're in trouble. 50% of them would do something else if they could. 70% of them are depressed. These are actual statistics of studies that are being done. 80% are discouraged. 90% are lonely. And, and it's, not like, it's not like pastoring is so much different than some of your jobs, but it is people-centric, and it has a spiritual component, and it, it, there's hard things attached to it. Pastors rarely feel like they're off or off the clock. There's just these, these dynamics. And so uh, we, we are, are committed to this kind of health. And so I'm, I'm sending Brent and Maria Parsley on a sabbatical for six weeks this summer. And I think we should do that because we want to invest in their lives. And so, um, so yeah, you guys are like, they're leaving. Yay! <laughs> yes, it's... So... <laughs> So I want to tell you a little bit about what that sabbatical is going to be. They're going to travel. They're going to intentionally disconnect. Um, uh, they're not going to be reachable. They are going to gain some perspective. They're going to read. They're going to rest. They're going to uh, have some new experiences. They're going to be with their family together. They're, they're going to unplug from this particular thing where they're leading and moving, and they're going to receive. They're, they're going to stay plugged into Jesus, who's going to refresh them and going to renew them and going to actually do something in their personal lives. I hate to tell you this, but pastors are people too. You think they're like all perfect and they have all this stuff together. No, they got issues that Jesus wants to work on. And sometimes you got to step back to let that happen. Now, now um, let me say this real clearly. Uh, I'm not ordering them because there's a big problem with Brent. There's no big issues there. Oh, he's got to get away because there's a problem. There's nothing behind the scenes that I'm, uh, that I'm worried about. I'm making an investment in him, and I want you to make an investment in him and Maria and their kids. You know, when they came here, they, they pretty much, they just believed God. When they started one chapel in Austin with us almost eight years ago, they came in the summer of 2010, and, and it, was, it was one of the hottest summers on record. And they came from Colorado, and they thought they'd arrived in hell. And it, but they came out of faith, and they took a loss on their home. They didn't want to take a loss on their home, but there was no way to get through it. And so they, they moved into a tiny little apartment. Tiny, tiny, I can't, I can't remember, two bedrooms, two bedrooms, three kids, Reese's bedroom was the closet. And well, yeah, I, I remember, she had a little playpen in there, she was awesome, she has no memory of it, it's okay, she was not damaged in any way, but, 
But, but they, they, they wrestled through things. And listen, church planting is challenging, and there are good days and there are bad days, but they had some physical challenges. Brent through, went through some physical challenges where he, he, he realized he had a thyroid condition, and, and that was really hard. And, you know, from last week, Maria exper- is experiencing this mystery illness right now, and she's praying and fasting. And, and so there's, there's stuff going on in their lives, and we're making an investment in them to go away, to get refreshed, to get rest revelation to get renewed vision so when they return they are the leaders God wants them to be and they'll have that in the tank they'll have they'll have energy and God's spirit and grace in the tank to be able to lead us into the next season of one chapel Kyle all right, so I'm, I'm, I'm super excited. They're, they're not leaving one chapel. They're not leaving town. They are, they are in for the long journey of life in leadership, and that's why this is so important. So uh, I just wanted to announce that to you. They're going to leave on June 4th, and they'll be gone for about six weeks, and uh, I'll be here uh, uh, for some of those Sundays. Some of your internal leaders, of course, will be available to you, and the, there's, a, there's a real powerful thing that happens in a church when a pastor leaves, right? It allows other people to step up. It also allows problems to occur. <laughs> so, so here's what I want to coach you on. I want to coach you not to let the problems get the best of you. I want to coach you on praying for your pastors and leaders. I want to coach you to stay steady this summer. Don't be like, oh, Pastor Brent's gone, Pastor Ross is coming, we don't need to go this Sunday. Don't do that. I want you to love him, but, but I want you to, what I want you to do is love Jesus and this community of people more. I want you to be committed to this group of people. I think that's what God asks of us, and, and we need to be committed to this community of Kyle and Buda, and we need, to, we need to be committed as a team to serve one another and to serve this community even while they're on sabbatical, okay? So, um, so I just want you to... Uh, Pray for him, and let's begin now, and uh, then we'll jump into the scriptures, okay? Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and grace. Thank you so much for uh, Brent and Maria and their kids and how much they've invested in the life of this church and invested in our community and have given their lives to you. And Lord, I've watched, and you've been so faithful to them over and over again. You have provided for them in every way. We've seen it. We witnessed it. And, and so we're doing this sabbatical out of faith that we believe the church is bigger than one person. It's greater than than one family. But the church of Jesus Christ, we trust you, Jesus, to build this church. And we choose to do what you told us to do when you said make disciples. So, Father, would you just bless them as they go? And would you renew them and refresh them in every way? And then we'll hold together, we'll serve together, we'll love one another and ask you to be glorified in the midst of it and even experience growth in the kingdom because we are obedient and faithful. We thank you for this. And Lord, we just pray as we open the scriptures that you'd give us new insight, new revelation, new understanding so that we can be all that you want us to be as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, that's so good. Uh, I would be remiss if I did not introduce to you the most important person in my life. Her name is Amy Parsley, and she's sitting right here. Come on, Amy, stand up. Come on, woo! couple of my kids are here, and, uh, and so uh, it's just so great to, to worship with you. Um, I want to talk to you today on Romans 14, so if you have your Bible, why don't you turn there? 
Open, open your Bibles, or if you're, if you're looking at your Bible on your device, turn on your Bible, and uh, let's, uh, let's look at Romans 14, and um, I want to show you this visual illustration here. I want to start with this. I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but this is, a, this is like an, uh, an old woman or a young lady. You ever seen this before? It's a, visual, it's a visual illusion that shows the differences in our individual perspectives, all right? So, so you're looking at it now. How many people see the old woman? Yep. How many people see the young lady? Yep. How many people see both? Oh, yeah. You're so proud of yourself, aren't you? Do you remember, th- do you remember this? This is another one, this dress right here. Do you remember this? Do you, do you remember the whole thing? It's like the blue and black dress or the white and gold dress, okay? What, it, what is it? What is blue? Okay, how many see, people see blue and black? Okay, spread your hands down. How many people see white and gold? Some of you guys are like, what are you talking about? Come on, how many people see white and gold? Yep, look at that. There, it's less, but there's a thing here that's so weird. Like, what are you, crazy people? You can't see white and gold. It's clearly a black and blue dress. There was, and, I mean, there were Twitter storms, and there's all this stuff. And this week, we've got another one, Yanni, Yanni and Laurel. Yanni and Laurel. Okay, so here, I'm going to let you listen to it. Here it is. Ready? Everybody listen. Laurel. 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 Laurel, Laurel, Laurel. How many people see, how many people hear Yanny? How many people hear Laurel? <laughs> what is, oh my gosh. Okay, now here's another one. How many can hear both? Yeah, yeah, about, about five. This, it's so weird. My wife, we were sitting up in bed and she's, you know, doing her end of the day social media stuff. <laughs> it's like, it's terrible. And then, <laughs> And so, and so she's like, hey, have you heard about this? And, and I was like, uh, no, I, I, I keep seeing it, but I don't know what it is. And she's like, listen to this. And I hear it, and it's like, Yanny, Yanny. And then, she, and then we talk about it for a few minutes, and she's like, people are in such a disagreement with that. And then, she, and then she let me hear it again, and I heard Laurel, Laurel. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> you played me two different things, didn't you? No, this is the same thing. And so it's so weird how this thing happens where people see and hear different things. And then they fight. <laughs> they fight each other over these things. They get irritated when people do not see or hear what they see and hear. They get mad at people when they don't understand what they understand. That's what Romans 14 is all about. I'm going to read a large portion of Romans 14 here, and I want you to go with me, and I want you to read it together. And I, I, want, I want you to hear what Paul is saying, all right? Cause, and it's a little bit of a longer passage, but I want you to lean in a little bit, all right, and hear what Paul is saying about how we should live life in the Spirit, how we should be directed by the work of God's Spirit, and how we should live in life, and not in judgment. Here's what he says in Romans 14, verse 1. He says, Accept him whose faith is weak, without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything. (laughs) Yay. But another man, 
whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Poor soul. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. For God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so for the Lord, to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account to, of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. If you have your Bible and you mark in it, I want you to underline verse 13. If you just have your device, then just try to highlight it. If your Bible's too good to mark in, enshrine it in glass and get a new one. <laughs> you got to use this thing. You got to let it, the ideas get into you, and you got you got to mark up your Bible. I believe verse thirteen: Stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. Paul, or sorry, but if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. I want you to pause for a minute and realize what Paul is saying. Down to the food you eat, you have to be aware and concerned about how it influences others. He says, verse 16, Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by many, saying, look, it's not about the do's and the don'ts. It's about righteousness, peace, and joy. So, Verse 19, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Edification is a fancy word for building people up. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. <laughs> 
All food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats because he is eating. His eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. does that last verse mean? What does that last verse mean? Everything that doesn't come from faith is sin. You know what it means? It means everything you do before the Lord, you do for Him. Every part of your life, every area of your life, all the way down to food, all the way down to the very like, like little tiny Actives, action, activations and actions that you do in your life is important to God. Partly because of how it affects you and partly because of how it affects the people around you. So that means that everything you do has to be out of faith. You know what Hebrews eleven six 6 says? And without faith it is impossible to please God. For those who come to him must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Paul is echoing this idea right here because everything has to be done in faith. If you, whatever you're eating has to be done in faith. You guys went out and ate those donuts? You eat them in faith, baby. No calories. You, you go to work. Guess what? You go to work, you have to do work in faith. You have to believe that God is your provider and that that paycheck is not all you're working for. You have to believe by faith that it is important for you to honor the people who are in authority over your life, including your dumb boss, <laughs> including that woman who is your supervisor. You think she's an idiot. <laughs> Guess what that means? that means? That means you cannot sin by dishonoring her. Or by calling her an idiot, even though you might think so. Do you, you, got, you know what you got to do? you got to believe the Scriptures because the Scriptures teach in Colossians that you must work for the Lord and not for a man. Amen. You are a Christian, and that means your work is a representation, your energy, your time, your attention. You are giving it to God in whatever you work at. Whatever you work at and whatever you do, the Bible says, you have to do it as unto the Lord. Amen. You're not working just for a man or a woman. You're working for God. And when you get that clear, you're working from a place of faith. So if you have an altercation with your boss and you, it needs to be resolved, you resolve it from the place of a Christian, from the place of a person who follows Jesus, who believes in reconciliation, who believes in honoring the Nice. I'm back. I should really get this. <laughs> You're holding up clock for me? Come on, man. I'm not here that often. Come on. Just, just. All right. Here's, here's what I think the crux of Paul, Paul's 
messages in Romans 14. Is there music playing? Oh, it's, it's the speakers in the, in the room. Awesome. This is so much fun. I love church in a movie theater. Hey, you know, what you, you know what you believe when you come to church in a movie theater? You believe that because you're a believer, because you're a Christian, you make secular places sacred spaces. You come here in faith. You come here believing there's something more happening than just sitting in a movie theater. There's something that you're part of that's so important. And I remember the, the, time, the first time I realized that one chapel was going to be called one chapel, I was doing my daily Bible reading in the one-year Bible, which I'm a fan of because I think it's an act of faith that you do every day, that his words need to get into you. And that's why I believe in it. But I remember reading through this passage, John 17, and Jesus was speaking and he's praying for his disciples. And here's what he says. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. Like he was playing for them, but I, I want to pray for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so the world will believe that you have sent me. I want you to think about that. Jesus is praying, I want your people to have the kind of unity, the kind of love, the kind of community that you and I have, the kind of communion that the Father and Jesus had. He's praying for this. Now, I don't know if you understand what Jesus and the Father were really like, but they had a oneness, a connection. He wanted us to have that kind of connectivity. He wanted us to, to, to be not just our individual selves with faith. He wanted to create a faith community that would care about each other, that would be concerned about what's going on in other people. And that we would help each other, we would love each other. But listen, he didn't just say that because unity's nice. Oh, it's so nice. Those people, I mean, it is amazing in our culture, in our day and time, when people agree on something, it's kind of a miracle. We got so much fight and so much stuff going on in our culture. You can't watch the news. You can't, re it's just, ah, it's so awful. When people see people of different, It's leaking. Do you hear that? Yeah. Hey, we should, take, we, should, we should take care of that, Thomas, because uh, there's some electrical things going on there, and I don't know what might happen. So can you guys, I don't want to cause any, I don't want to cause a fire. <laughs> I also don't want to get electrocuted. <laughs> okay, look over here. Look over here. Don't look over there. Come on, over here, this way, right here. What was I talking about? Do you remember? Oh, arguing. See, here's the thing. I want you to get this. John 17, you know what Jesus is praying for? He was saying that unity contributes to strategy for evangelism. What is the number one criticism of the church in America? They call us, they call us angry or judgmental, or they call us hypocrites. And I'm always like, hypocrites? Well, duh. Every human is a hypocrite. That's why we're here. We're trying to make everything whole. We're trying to give our lives over to Jesus. There's no perfect people that come to church. Get over yourself. We, come to, we, we are imperfect people. We come together because we're in a journey where we're helping each other become more like Jesus. There's no perfect people. But listen, 
Jesus prayed this because he wanted, he wanted to encourage you and me that the way we treat each other has massive implications. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. He, that, that when we love each other and care for each other, it has massive implications for the gospel spreading to our community. And you got to believe that. The Bible's very clear about some of these issues. But the problem is, like, why, why, is it, why do we fight with each other? We fight with each other because there are differences. Everybody say differences. The problem with a group of people where two or three are gathered, there is different opinions. I know you thought I was going to say where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. That's what Jesus said. But where two or three are gathered, there's going to be multiple opinions. The Bible's clear about specific things. Don't steal. Don't lie. Okay? Adultery's out. You can't, that's, that's, that's not allowed. Getting drunk is actually out. You're not allowed to get drunk as a believer. It's a violation. Cheating is out. Those are clear definitions in the Bible. There are specific standards. There's no argument on those. But then the Bible speaks about things that are in the gray area. They, 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 they're unclear. We're not quite sure. Like, so Romans 14, Paul is talking about these things in his community with these Jewish and, and Gentile believers. And, he, and, he's, and, he's, and he's articulating how they should act to one another because they've got a lot of things that they're coming together on that they disagree about. A lot of practices and act activities. So what should a Christian eat? When should a Christian worship? Uh, should they be a total abstainer or is moderation okay? These are specific issues they were dealing with, but we could make the list longer. Like, could, can, can Christians go dancing? Dancing. Listen, you, you may or may not run by a post on social media of me dancing from last night. I was at a wedding, and we were dancing to the hits. If you see that, just pray for me. Can Christians play cards? I remember my little brother, Brad, who's our, our, uh, Brent's my youngest brother, but the second youngest brother is, is Brad, and I remember him standing there about eight years old, and he was standing at my dad, and I could see the picture right in our house, and he said, Dad... How come you can't believe in these cards when they're right here? Because <laughs> my, my dad had said, I don't believe in playing cards, right? How can you not? Anyway, never mind. So I saw my first movie at age 19 in a theater. I came from a group of people that were, I had a lot of lists, a lot of lists of do's and don'ts. A list of do's and don'ts. If, if, there, if we took a survey in this room, a bunch of you would be super happy at the volume level of the music in here today. And a whole bunch of other people would be like, what is their problem? <laughs> there are disagreements. Some of you think we need to sing more hymns. Some of you are like, what are hymns? <laughs> Maybe we should sing more hers. I don't know. We, people disagree on the, on the Bible translation that we have. People come up with massive differences, and then they become... What happens is, when you disagree with my list, I start to get mad at you. I start to compare what I believe and what you believe, and we have these disagreements, and we even start arguing, and it's terrible. Ultimately, since I'm right and you're wrong, that's going to make it difficult for me to love you. 
since I'm right and you're wrong, it's going to be difficult for me to accept you kind of the way you are, to include you in my circle of friends. That's the problem. This is where friendships are broken. People leave churches. Churches split wide open over stupid stuff. Did you know there are currently over 38,000 Christian denominations? 38,000 Christian denominations. Groups of churches that say, well, we believe this way. As your pastor, I have decided we are not going to participate in that way of functioning, which is why we refer to the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed has been said over centuries, and it is one of the most important documents that was passed down to us by church fathers because they dealt with this same problem. The disagreements. So I want to talk about that. And you can see disagreements all through the scriptures. There's some examples. You can do your homework and, and read about them. Uh, uh, David and Saul and Cain and Abel was really the first one. And then uh, Paul and Barnabas. It's crazy how all this happens. And it's so easy to respond. Why is it so easy to respond with negativity? Why is it so easy for us to respond with negativity to our differences? Well, there's three things. Because all of us want to be equal, fair, and just. We all want equality, fairness, and justice. And listen, that was put there by God, by the way. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But when, you're, when you come out of the womb in the first two years, you learn these words. That's not fair. <laughs> and what did your mom tell you? Life's not fair. Get over it. Somehow we can't keep learning that lesson as we grow old, but, but it's really true. You have to believe that there's a judge who is going to take care of all things one day, to trust the perfect justice of Jesus. That's what Romans is kind of about, perfect mercy. Number two, because all of us like to be on the winning team. We like to be right. We like to be right. See, my son and my daughter-in-law, they like to be right. I pray for their marriage. You should too. They're strong personalities. We want to be right. Number three, because of the foundational issues of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this is where I want to spend just a few moments here before we go. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. Look at Genesis 2, 8 through 9. It says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden, there were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. You go on to Genesis 3, verse 1, it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden. See, this is, what, this is what the devil does to you. The serpent is a picture of the devil, and this story unfolds as one of the first stories in the Bible, I think, for a reason, because, because God is aiming at what is human and the challenges we all face. So the serpent plants a seed of doubt, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit, fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. 
And then here's the, the, the serpent says something that directly contradicts. He goes from planting a seed of doubt to contradicting verse 4. He says, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. There's the temptation. You will be like God. Verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They were suddenly ashamed. They were suddenly aware of something. They were aware of the knowledge of good and evil. There's a lot of stuff we could peel back in this story, but I want you to see that the devil, the serpent himself, did, in, he didn't encourage Eve to rebel as much as he appealed to her love for God. See, we, we, we create our list of do's and don'ts because we want to be godly. But then we use them to beat people over the head. See, he, he offered a choice to her, and he said, your desire to be like him, you, you, he knows that when you eat this, you'll be like him. You'll be like God. You'll see it. You'll see it as it really is. And here's what I believe. This story teaches us we can live out of the tree of life or we can live out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This story is a, is a foreshadowing of life that is coming. Jesus is our tree of life. He died on a tree of life, we call it. John 10.10 10 says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life. I want you to see this story because it, it, it provides a contrast for us of how we should live and how we should interact with each other because we can interact with each other on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and say, oh, 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 oh. Or we, can, or we can live out of the tree of life and believe that God has called us together to help one another, Amen. to serve one another. It doesn't mean we don't confront each other, but we speak the truth in love, which is one of the cornerstone ideas of One Chapel, that we love people. And listen, all the work, all the work is in trying to create an atmosphere of love so that you can speak truth to each other. It's the hardest thing we do. So when we choose to respond according to the tree of knowledge of good and evil, here's what it is. If you have your message notes, just fill it out here. When we... When we Respond from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's characterized by, number one, a lack of innocence, where your heart becomes hardened and it, becomes, it makes you respond out of mistrust. Listen, all of us have been hurt. Some of you are here at this church because you got hurt at a different church. Listen, unless you're willing to work through that, it's going to happen again because something happens to you. There's a lack of innocence that begins to happen, just like happened to... to um, Adam and Eve, there's this lack of innocence and there's, there's, there's criticalness and, and skepticism and a cynic kind of mentality. The second thing that happens is victimization. Victimization where you become poisoned by the injustices around you and you respond out of hurt and resentment or bitterness. If you read the, if you read the passage down a little further, when God comes 
and speaks to them. He says, who told you you were naked? I love it. It was one of the best verses in the Bible. <laughs> who told you you were naked? You've been listening to somebody else? You've been eating of the tree that I told you not to eat from? And what did Adam say? When he said, when he said that, he said, the woman. <laughs> he blamed Eve. He made himself out to be the victim. Hey, this woman, you, you put her here. You, I was fine. You put her here. Sorry. You put her here, and now she led me astray. We all become blamers and victims in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then when she, God talks to her, what does she say? The serpent, the serpent, did you, the serpent convinced me. We blame others. We become victims. That's not God's plan. Number three, we become a legalistic, self-righteous person. We, we have a legalistic, self-righteous mindset, and that sets us up to be the only one who's right. You have to, you have, to have it your way. Oh, don't, don't you know this is, this is the way it should be? This is the way it is. Number four, your relationship with God starts to be based on a list of do's and don'ts. A list of do's and don'ts. This is horrible. Number five, creating a value system or standards. That's what you, that's what you and I do. We, we create this value system or standards that you and I live by and expect others to live by as well. We impose our way on them. That's what it looks like to live in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Here's what it looks like to live in the tree of life. When we choose to respond to people in the tree of life, what it is is it's characterized, number one, by innocence. Innocence, where you look at people in situations with eyes of innocence, willing to trust and to take risks. So many people are unwilling to take risks in a relationship because they've been hurt before. The tree of life says it's okay. The tree of life says God is going to help you. The tree of life creates innocence. Listen, my, my family and I, we have a saying around our house, and it's people do what they do for a reason. People do, and, and, and sometimes we don't think about this. We just want to call them stupid and walk off. Those people are stupid. Like, they're stupid and mean, and they're trying to be stupid and mean on purpose. No, they're, 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 they're doing what they're doing for reasons that you've got you've to see in a heart of compassion and, and innocence and not take it personally so that you can actually walk with them and maybe even help them overcome their hurt. But you can't if you don't have innocence. Number two, you have a clean conscience. When you respond out of the tree of life, you're free of offense. You have a light heart. You don't take everything so personally. You, you, don't, you don't let people have power over you. I think it was George Washington Carver that said, I will never let another man ruin my life by making me hate him. This is a tree of life mentality. You and I are called to a tree of life Way of responding to our world, number, number three, refusing to judge others or to hold others to our expectations and standards. Refusing to judge others. Matthew 7, Jesus talks about it. He says, don't judge lest you be judged. And people like to take that and they're like, well, don't, don't judge me, don't evaluate me. Actually, if you read it carefully, what you will find is Jesus tells the story about how people have a log in their eye and then they try to get the speck out of their brother's eye. You know this story? You might not know this story, but the story is so cool because Jesus is like, he's describing a person, hey, you got a log sticking out of your eye, which I think is a hilarious picture. 
It's like, here I am. I'm trying to see everybody. Hey, you're doing it wrong, and you're doing it wrong, and you're hitting people with the log. Stick it out of your eye. And you're trying to get a little speck out of somebody's eye so you knock them over the head and you, don't even, you can't even touch the speck. Listen, but what he says, what Jesus says is, as he goes through the story, he says, first, everybody say first. First take the log out of your eye. First take the log. And then he says, then you will be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. The goal is not to, the goal is to just leave each other alone. That's not what he's saying. We think, oh, you can't judge me. No, take the log out, deal with yourself first, and then, and then help your brother and sister take the speck out of their eye. Now, sadly, they may have a log in their eye too. And it's like massive swords and you're fighting each other because you both got logs. <laughs> That's what happens in our American culture. Can we be a different community? That's the question. Could we be the kind of community that doesn't, doesn't fight like that, that doesn't deal with life in this way, refusing to judge others? Number four, your relationship with God not being based on a list of do's and don'ts, but out of a, a heart of love and thankfulness for what he's done for you. So you can go to church in the tree of life and enjoy every minute of it. Or you can go to church in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Here's, here's how one sounds. When you miss the, that person at church and you see him again, hey, where have you been? That's kind of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I go to church every week. Where are you? And it feels so good when you say that to somebody, right? No, here, tree of life, you know what tree of life going to church looks like? Oh, I love church. It's so wonderful. I love worshiping. I love being together. I noticed so-and-so wasn't here. I'm going to give him a call. We're going to go have coffee. You can read your Bible out of the tree of life or out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You start reading your Bible every day and you're like, yeah, I'm reading my Bible every day. I'm clicking on that version app and I get those little check marks. It feels so good. That's good. Check marks. I'm reading my Bible every day. Oh, you don't read your Bible every day? Why don't you read your Bible every day? You know, it's the secret, right? It's the secret to knowing God. It's the secret to all the... God wants to speak. Why are you reading your Bible every day? Did you know that the Bible doesn't actually tell us to read our Bible every day? What? What? That's a Sunday school song. You thought the Bible said it. What the Bible tells us to do is to take in God's words as much as we can. Let him speak to us. What it says is God's word is sharp and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. And that it, that, it, that it measures the thoughts and attitudes of your heart. It helps you understand what's from your soul and what's from your spirit. That's Hebrews 4.12. You, you got to see that living, reading the Bible out of the tree of life, it gets so much out of it. Reading the Bible out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you start to judge people. You start to judge yourself. One of the worst things that happens is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It seems like it's good for food. You see in, in the story, Eve is like, it's good for food. And you start eating it. It was, oh, it tastes so good. It tastes so good. And then you fail. And then you judge yourself so harshly, you can't recover. See, here's the problem. Here's the problem, church. 
The problem with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's not just the knowledge of evil that's so deadly. It's the knowledge of good that can be deadly. God wants to fill you with his life. And he does that when you become born again and he fills your heart with himself and then something begins to happen. It's an inside-out job, everybody. It's him on the inside and he's working his way out through your habits and through your practices and through the, the life that you live. He's working his life into your life. And that's why it doesn't happen perfectly because it takes a long period of time. It's not, oh, I became a Christian, so now I need to do this and I don't need to do that and I need to do this and I need to don't do that. You're creating a list of do's and don'ts. The Christian life is a life of innocence before God and openness to others and an awareness that what you do affects them and that you're taking the responsibility to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. We don't really have time for this, but I'm going to do it anyway because I'm not here very often. And so I want you to look at, this, look at this last thing. I want you to see this. This is your message notes. You can, you can fill it in. I want you to notice that there are absolutes in the center. You know what we use as our absolutes? We use the Nicene Creed as our way. We didn't say it today. We still do it, right? We still do the Nicene Creed? Okay. All right, good. Because it's on my list. You see, you could see how it could become a list. It's not something we have to do every week. It's something that we do to remind ourselves of the most important things. If the church fathers thought these were the most important things to highlight when, when new ideas were coming because it was far enough away from Jesus and, and his apostles. See, the story started to change. People began to come up with new ideas who weren't reinforcing what the apostles had taught. They weren't reinforcing the stories of Jesus. And the church father said, we got to come to this, this place where we say what's really valuable for people. And I think the, the, the Nicene Creed kind of covers it. But there are all kinds of things. It's about being born again. It's about Jesus being the Son of God. It's, a, it's, it's about understanding that He is the way, the truth, and the life. And I think the Nicene Creed describes that. And so we see this in the absolutes. And what would be cool is if we could all focus on the absolutes most. There's so many churches that fight with each other and they fight over things that aren't worth fighting over because they're in the interpretation. Look at, look at the next thing is interpretations. Interpretations are when you open the Bible and pastors read it and then they look up and say, no, what this means is you're starting to interpret. Okay, everybody is. But listen, there are respected interpretations from Orthodox Christianity and there are disrespected interpretations. Okay, so you gotta be careful about that, but they are interpretations nonetheless. And we don't have to fight each other about interpretations. I happen to believe some very strong things about the work of the Holy Spirit. I believe in a certain way that the Holy Spirit works in a person's life. And we can disagree on how the Holy Spirit works. What we cannot disagree on is that He does work. That He lives in the heart of a person. We cannot disagree about that. That, that, that means something else. And so, <clears throat> so we have to agree about that, but we can talk about the different ways he does this. If you go on to deductions, that's even further realm, of even more worthless to fight over. The deductions are like this. Ezekiel says this, and Revelation says this. Therefore, we can conclude that Jesus will return on December 21st, 2019. 
It's been done over and over again throughout history. People, people talking about the return of Jesus because they think they found some kind of secret thing in the scriptures. It, they're deductions. Don't fight over them. Have a good time. Laugh. Enjoy them. Talk about revelation all you want, but don't fight over them. See, the problem is when we start fighting over deductions, they're not worth it, and we treat deductions like they're absolutes. Look at the, look at the stuff around it. subjective opinions, personal feelings, cultural norms, uh, different, different things going on around here, personality of the pastor, the way we worship. This is what I, I, I just don't think we should ever engage in this kind of thing. Yeah, I didn't like that worship leader. I don't think they were anointed. Okay, well, maybe, <laughs> or it could just be that they're in a, another process of development as a worship leader, and you didn't like their voice. Okay, there's no reason to fight over worship leaders like that. What we have to believe is that God has called us together for a purpose, and it is to explain who Jesus is, and that people can be transformed in their lives. And the work of the Spirit wants to take effect in their hearts and their lives and begin to change them from the inside out. I want you to treat each other like this. I want you, especially during Brent's and Maria's sabbatical, to treat each other with love and respect because the devil wants to get in here and create some kind of disagreement over how the ushers work. <laughs> That's how it happens, people. About, about some kind of thing in the worship team or about some kind of thing in children's ministry. He wants to like, like get, get you all bent out of shape over some. Well, I can't believe that person. <laughs> you and I are called to live a life that is concerned for others. We are so aware of our relationship with God and how it, how it, it um, determines our interaction with other people and how we love them and walk with them regardless of what we may what differences we may have don't accentuate the differences accentuate the essentials the absolutes the agreement there's power in our agreement and in our unity to see people come to Jesus close your eyes and bow your heads we're going to come to the Lord's table and the ushers are going to pass you communion and we're going to do this quickly I'm going to do it quickly but I want you to pause here before we go I want you to really let the Holy Spirit speak to you let the Holy Spirit speak to you now about whether or not you're living in a judgmental way towards others here, here's what I want you to do I want you to think about how you may be insisting on an individual faith when God has called you to a communal faith. I want you to listen to him and let him speak to you about how to love people around you, how to live from the tree of life. And it is appropriate that we focus on communion, on the Lord's table on the Eucharist because it is a representation of life. Jesus laying down his life so that you and I could have life. 
his broken body represented by the bread, his blood poured out, the source of life for you and for me, for the forgiveness of sins. Would you come to this moment and you say, Jesus, fill me with light. I repent of all of my judgment, all of my sinfulness, fighting, irritation that I live in with others. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me for being too judgmental of myself. And Lord, I pray that you'd help me. Help me to receive your life and live it to the full. We thank you for this in Jesus' name.